Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We have, of course, got Brian with us today. Sup, heretics. And you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. Although uh, someone recently pointed out that well, challenging the status quo is not moral uh, in and of itself, we agree, but it should be something that you should be able to do without you know, being labeled a heretic. Speaking of heretics, our favorite comment from... <laughs> Our last episode is from our friend Zamo Kwake. He has actually been our favorite comment, I think, before in the past, but he's just a funny dude. He is funny. Um, so, yeah, this was his favorite comment. I mean, our favorite comment of his. <laughs> so he said, so glad I finally got to watch this heretic fest. So, so welcome you, heretic, as well, to the rest of the heretics. And that was under <laughs> our interview with Nick Quint, where we discuss egalitarianism. He's an egalitarian. I'm. We are soft complementarians or traditionalists, however you want to kind of put it, but uh, it was a fun interview. It was a good discussion. Yeah. And you recently had a discussion with Jordan Ferrier on Not a Tame Sheep about it, too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we got a little bit deeper into kind of some of the verses about um, women keeping silent. So looked at First Timothy chapter 2 and First Corinthians chapter 14. Nice. So, so that was fun. Yeah, you go check uh, check that conversation out. It was just Brian and Jordan. So um, once in a while, we both like to be, um, we'll just be a guest on another channel. We get sick of each other. So we go do our own thing. Yeah. (laughs) You are exhausting. I know I am. (laughs) All right. So, guys, today we are dealing with definitely a church-splitting topic. This kind of, this, when you wanted to cover this, because this is what Brian wanted to cover, the more Brian read about this, I don't want to speak for you. Well, and we're a little bit late to the game, so we're going to talk about Matt Chandler today. And, yeah, the more I kind of looked into it, I was like, there's just something kind of off about this whole situation and we waited a little bit, see if there's like more information that was going to come out, maybe a revised statement, some additional detail. As far as I know, nothing that I found has come out in addition to kind of what dropped uh, now, I think, more than a month ago. Um, it was just kind of weird. Yeah, so I want to talk about it. We've, we've had some discussions on here before, I think, as tradition for some um, cultural things that occur in the church with some well-named people in the Christian community, and Matt Chandler's one of them. Right, so um, this kind of takes us back to our roots a little bit, because yeah. it's kind of what we were originally started off as before we became like a geeky theology channel. Um, so this is kind of what we discussed originally, was like divisive issues, let's just talk about it biblically from the ground up, promote unity amongst those differences, and then let's talk about these situations like this that come up and try to figure out the best way to handle them with a, you know, a nice level head and not going too crazy. Yeah. So uh, now this was something that you said that kind of bothered you specifically when I first, when I read it. I was like, "That's weird," but I don't know that this was something you wanted to cover, and you, which is, I think is good because I think there's um, I've seen a lot of reactions from this, and I think people are missing. It's either some people are overly reacting in one way or the other. And, uh, but especially people condemning. I've noticed a large amount of people condemning, like, oh, just another scandal. It's what we need. But this isn't really like that, is it? Yeah. And I think, I think at the very least, we can learn from this, from some of the actions. I think there were some good choices made through how the church responded to this. And there were some, I, I think, maybe some strange ones, maybe ones I, I wouldn't say bad, but maybe I just don't 100% agree with or don't quite understand the rationale for going that way. Um, Yes, we want to get into it. I, there's been already a ton of commentary on this. So like I said, we're late to the game, late to the party. I I think we might have a little bit different approach to this than some others. Um, not that I've watched too much about this, but just wanted to just chat about it and understand kind of 
how we as a church can learn from this and maybe take a little bit different approach in the yeah, future. Because some uh, churches have a tendency, there's like this weird culture we live in now where there's like, the, it's very reactionary. And we kind of did the same thing with MacArthur. When that whole situation came out, yeah. we kind of looked over it, kept reading it, kept seeing what was happening of it, and then finally we did our episode on it. We were a little bit sooner, quicker to the game than this one, but yeah. we've also had a lot going on, so it's like we also wanted to cover some other topics, but we're putting a pause on that because we want to talk about this. This is because this here is something that splits churches, and it's something that causes damage to it can cause damage to pastors, pastors' families, churches, and congregants alike. And I think it's sometimes it's just because of poor expectations, um, uh, unrealistic expectations, and some things that just aren't even biblical. There's a lot of things here. So let, let's let's talk about it. So let's give a, an overview of the events real fast. So apparently Matt Chandler was in correspondence w- with a woman in the church. So there's this other lady that came in, uh, in the church that she went up to um, Matt about his Man, uh, his uh, messages to her, and because this woman who was messaging was apparently married. So, this lady was a concerned la- uh, friend in the church who was a friend of the lady that he was messaging, is yep. my understanding. Yep. So, they were both friends, um, and she must have told her about her and Matt Chandler's discussion. And so, this lady, concerned and thinking it was inappropriate, went to Matt Chandler and said something about it. So, um, then, yeah, what was it like? Did they say like a month or so later it became? Well, yeah, well, that day, so she confronts him in the back of the church, and he goes, okay. And he sounds like he listens to her, uh, genuinely open to hearing this criticism, and then immediately that day takes what he heard from this friend of this woman that he's been messaging and brings it to the elders and brings it to his wife and says, this is what she says. What do you guys think? And he just kind of left it open there, and sounds like he was like, I don't know. I didn't think it was inappropriate, but... I if someone else thinks it might be, you guys tell me what you think, and and so kind of the elder board took it from there. They then um, they hire an outside law firm to kind of look at the messages he had been having with this woman, um, and eventually they came back with the report that concluded that he was having maybe too frequent, in their opinion, of messages with this this woman. And the, when the elders looked at the report, they said, yeah, it violated what they said their social, their internal social media policy, um, and that it was evidence of him not acting above reproach in the First Timothy 3 standard way. Um, and But they said that the elders said it didn't rise to the occasion of disqualification for pastorship for Matt, but um, Matt said that he agreed this was unhealthy behavior in his life, that there's something unhealthy in his life that was causing whatever he thought was wrong about this, and then he's now taken a leave of absence, a temporary te- leave of absence from the church, but he's still employed there and intends, at least in his video, to return as a pastor. Right, and if you want to watch the video, guys, you can watch it all right here. We're just not going to play it um, because, uh, for the sake of time, and most likely, if you're watching this at this point in the game, you've probably already watched it or at least read it. So, um so here's the thing. There's some important details in both the report that it seems the law firm reported, what the elders have said, and what Matt Chandler has said himself, um, which is that the messages were not romantic or sexual in any nature. And this whole idea of they had, they had this quote, like a frequency and familiarity of the messages crossed a line. That's vague. Yeah, that's a weird standard. Because 
if it's not sexual or romantic in nature, then what what line is being crossed? And let's face it, when probably all you guys saw this break, this story, right? You're like, oh, pastor was messaging a woman, a married woman in the church, and you're like, you automatically assume it's flirtatious, sexual nature, talking about inappropriate things that their spouses would not be okay with. And then, but then when you read more, you're like, wait a minute, that's actually not what it was. It's kind of weird. So, right. And then it actually reminds me of when I, when I was at your church pastoring and, uh, we picked up a flag that your wife was going to use for one of her horse shows. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was all that special design had her logo on it. So we picked it up Well, my wife was at work and I work of course from home or at the church when I was pastoring. So Stacy came to pick it up. Mm -hmm. And so Stacy comes by, pulls up in the driveway. I walk out. She brought Starbucks because she knows I have a coffee She's addiction. Nice like that. <laughs> yep. And she picks up this one. You guys were, you, we were first becoming good friends. Yeah. And her and I sat there and chatted for probably an hour and a half just outside hanging out yeah. talking. And what's funny about that is it, it, you could have said, put it this way. Pastor alone at his house has married woman over for coffee. How dare you? And really what it was that she came by to pick it up and we just got talking mm -hmm. and we continued to talk. And then suddenly she was like, I got to go. I'm like, yeah, sorry, me too. <laughs> so, and it was just a really good conversation though. Yeah. And it never was creepy. It's never weird. But I regularly, um, even that scenario, I was like, oh, wait till somebody, oh my gosh, what are you doing, Pastor Will? Or when we had uh, Tabitha uh, live with us, our editor. Hi, Tabby. Um, when we had our, our, my, Tabby lived with me and my wife for like three years. Mm -hmm. And so does that, and, and I mean, well, pastor has a single 20-year-old young lady living in his house. And instantly everyone gets, like, creepy vibes. Yeah. When you word it that way, of course. So uh, whenever I hear this, like, across the line, but it's not sexual or romantic, I'm like, then what line is being yeah. crossed? What is it? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, having a normal conversation, having a personal conversation, you tell me about your day or whatever, like, what is, yeah. is that inappropriate? Um, well, and same thing. I, I have conversations with your wife all the time. We have kind of a, a close-knit friend group, and we we have group chats, and we have individual chats all the time. Right. And you and I have discussions with other people of either gender all the time because of this, people asking questions. And those right. are fun conversations. We're not hiding anything from those. It's just that's kind of the nature of, I think, ministry in general. Right. You end up building relationships with people. Right. Well, there's one of our listeners, uh, her name's Taylor. She messages me questions from time to time and I respond to her and I'm like, so does that mean I'm committing? Oh, uh, pastors now in the DMS of another young woman. Like it's yeah. just like, uh, or we're, so I, I don't know where the line is with some of this stuff. So am I supposed to be so paranoid where, and this takes me back to my IFB days. Okay. So I just want to, before we go much further here, yeah. I just, it takes me back to the, my IFB days where, I wasn't allowed to be alone in a room with a girl. So I remember growing up, like if there was in our, our youth room, everyone would hang out. And if me and like a young girl talk, like one of my friends were talking um, and everyone leaves except for me and her. And we're just still talking, having our conversation. Mm -hmm. Suddenly we get in trouble for being alone and how inappropriate that is. And, it, and all this thing is like, the doors are open. We're in this room, like <laughs> the lights are on. Like yeah. we're just talking, but you made it sexual. We did not. Mm -hmm. But because you're making it sexual, now all people do when I, what would happen is that every single time I'm alone with a young lady, I'm like, this could be taken as sexual. This is sexual. Sexual? Yeah. And it's like, that's, 
when you start mixing crossing that line, you just turn it to you make it so no normal interaction with the opposite sex is non-sexualized. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. You sexualize normal conversations. And we say that all with a massive caveat of those inappropriate conversations do happen. And unfortunately, have been happening quite a bit in the church. And there's been podcasts that have shown light on that. Um, we have lots of evidence from the Catholic Church for the last 20 years for inappropriate contact between uh, people in ministry. Um, so we understand that there are plenty of examples of it being bad. Right. And I think that's why we all instantly want to read this this statement. We're like, oh, no, here we go again. He's having an emotional affair with some lady in his church, and it just, over. here we go, rinse, repeat, same old, same old. But this one does seem different, and it's interesting they explicitly say that it wasn't sexual and it wasn't romantic in any way. Right, but what they say is that it was unguarded and unwise. So it just, it seems like to me more like a group who was like, oh, you know, you were too open with them. And it's unwise because we have labeled it so because we sexualize people who have conversations. And I mean, I'm being cynical here, but it's just, uh, it's too vague, yeah. I, personally. Like, the more you said, that's why it was like, the more you talked about it, the more I read on, I'm like, yeah, I think we should talk about this. Yeah. Because also, I mean, this puts a pastor between a rock and a hard place. Once in a while, you'll get asked a question maybe over a DM, and it's like, well, you can't t talk to them unless your wife is present. It's like, or I can just shoot them a quick DM and tell my wife about it, and she can... My wife knows that I message people regularly, and she's like, "Yeah, cool." And half the time, you know, she grabs my phone, logs in, takes pictures of the kid. I don't care. Like, do what you yeah. want. Um, and then what was the other one? Oh yeah, Matt did not use language appropriate for a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, what sort of vagary is that? Like, hmm, what did he use? Did he use a couple four letter words? <laughs> is that what it was? Because swearing is culturally sinful, but not biblically sinful. But we're just gonna. I don't know, we make a taboo of certain four-letter words, but not others. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You have a whole episode on that. I have a whole episode on it. You guys should it. watch that. If it, I think can potentially be tangentially related to what this is talking about. Because I'm, I'm guessing that might be what this is. Yeah. Um, I, you know, using language not appropriate for a pastor seems like it would be referring to some sort of, I don't know, swearing or maybe a little bit more crude, what culturally crude language. Yeah. I don't know. But again, yeah. this is all speculation. Maybe he's making political jokes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people have some opinions on those. Both Matt's wife and the woman's husband were also fully aware of the correspondence. And when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, so they're not even hiding this. Okay. That that sounds better. <laughs> right. Well, it's so. like, me again, me and Stacy connect, uh, like, personality-wise, and we've texted each mm -hmm. other plenty of times, yeah. and it's never been weird or creepy or anything like that. I had text conversations with your wife tonight about coming over. <laughs> <laughs> See? So we talk, yeah. And I'd rather not be included in another group text. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, uh, So there we're not, I don't think, I just want to say too, we're not saying this because we're like, well, we do these things, so therefore it's okay. We're just, we're trying to, to be humble to what, the biblical standard is and what it actually right. calls pastors right. to be. And again, we're not the standard, but my thing is, is like, I honestly, if these were the standards, I don't know how my life would function because I interact with a lot of people, men and women mm -hmm. all the time. And it's like, and I, we live in an ever connected world with social media and cell phones. I'm like, I don't know how people yeah. keep up without mm -hmm. being able to have basic discussions that way. And if my wife's aware of it and her husband is aware of it, and here's the thing, 
honestly, if it was something that bothered you, I wouldn't because I had a respect for you. I'd be like, all right, mm-hmm. cool. Brian is like, hey, hey, you know, now when I'm not there, I'm like, okay, I don't know what history is there, why you're paranoid to think that's weird. We should talk about <laughs> that, but it's fine. I can respect that. Um, no, my wife's hilarious. Have a conversation with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is funny. <laughs> um, but then the other thing is, it's like, I take issue when other people are taking issue on behalf of my marriage. Yeah. You know, like, I've had people get upset randomly about the jokes I crack about my wife. My wife is Korean. She's four foot ten, and we crack jokes about it. She cracks jokes about me, but mm-hmm. I, I'll crack a joke, and somebody will take offense. Like, is she? You can't talk about it like that. I'm like, it's a joke. Relax. Yeah. So the point is, like, don't if their if their marriages are okay with the situation, I don't think anyone has a right to be offended on their behalf. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I think that's kind of my main point as we kind of go through this. Like it's it's like when uh, you have a friend that is, uh, let's say, like Julius when he moved in. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an episode with him, but Julius, uh, you know, he's black, and it's like when he'd crack uh, black jokes. Yeah. When he moved in, and I laughed. It'd be like somebody be like, "You can't say that. That's offensive to black people." And, and Julius is like, "Bro, I'm I would be the offended party, yeah. and I'm cracking the joke. <laughs> I yeah. want you to laugh. Yeah, like relax, bro, amigo. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the point. The point is, does that make sense? Like, people are yeah. taking, like, it seems like a third-level offense here for somebody else's situation. Barring other information that hasn't been released as of filming this. Yes. That's, yes. that's our current <laughs> opinion on this. Um, so, so we kind of talked a little bit about this, but why are we talking about this? Well, church splits tend to happen with around or involving leadership, either through their action or sometimes inaction. Causes church split, causes drama. The leadership tends to be in the middle of that just by the nature of their position and what they know about people and who comes to them when they have a problem. And that's so situations involving a pastor like like Matt tend to have this potential for church splitting. And that's why we're talking about it. Right. So in this situation is especially strange because with all the stuff I just said, that's given all the information is exactly as presented. Okay, because. It's especially strange because it seems like either it's a cover-up of something much larger and much worse than what it is, mm-hmm. and they're just like, oh, quickly say this, and we'll just kind of brush it under the rug, yeah. or it's a way overreaction of something pretty benign. So I don't, I don't know what more else to say that, besides that. So we don't know what was said besides what was shared. Uh, it was non-sexual, non-romantic. Uh, perhaps his inability to see this wasn't... Maybe his inability of seeing this not being appropriate was actually because it wasn't necessarily inappropriate. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I just I didn't think of it that way. Oh man, you're right. As opposed to just going, well, maybe it just wasn't. You were just kind of like <laughs> manipulated yeah. or convinced. Also, it does. This goes back to that issue of sometimes of making pastorship a career that pays mm-hmm. you. Because at the same time, if you have everyone on your board telling you something, uh, well, if you want to keep your job and keep paying you and keep supporting your family, you might just cooperate for fear of losing your job and position and money and uh, your income, right? Yeah. And not saying that's all about money. I'm not saying that's what Matt's Matt's particular motive is. I'm just saying that can cause problems with situations like this, where you might just go along with it because you don't want to be fired. Exactly. So our stipulation would be that men and women, even married ones, can have conversations with one another appropriately. Now, if it gets inappropriate, those should end. Or if they're... They're trending towards inappropriate. They should end. But if they're appropriate conversations, there's plenty of appropriate conversations that men and women have all the time. And um, 
I don't necessarily agree with the trope that men and women can never be friends because it always turns out sexual. It can, and a lot of times it does, but that does I, I don't see that as a rule. If a lot of friendships can turn sexual, I would also posit that a lot of friendships, actually most friendships, don't turn sexual. Because yeah. I have had way more female friends in my life, and guess what? Many of them were not sexual. <laughs> I'm married to my wife, so, I mean, one of them became one. <laughs> anyway. Well, there's there's also a difference, too, when you're, when you're trying to, um, you know, find the woman you want to marry, obviously those one-on-one conversations might become deeper and deeper and more intimate. And that's expected. I think that's expected. And, but if you're married and you're having a conversation with someone else who's married or not, and that conversation starting to become more and more in- intimate, okay, maybe put the brakes on that. Maybe you are going down the wrong way. If it's not, you're just having a fun conversation with someone and everyone who's aware of it is fine with it. Then I don't see a problem with it. Even if that person is a pastor, um, cause we'll get into this in a little bit, but I don't know that there's necessarily all these extra rules for pastors that we try to create. I think, uh, I think that's a problem in the modern Christian church. Um, so yeah, we agree. Emotional cheating is a thing, yeah, right? That is a thing. Private secret conversations between men and women can turn into more than innocent conversations. Um, however, we don't just think that all of them are, we should just say, nope, all of it, because I mean, you can make that argument with anything. Well, this could turn into that. Having this Guinness right now could turn you into a drunkard, right? I mean, but th- does that mean I can't have Guinness? I mean, really? Uh, driving a car could turn you into a speedster. Does that Having mean an iPad can turn you into watching porn. Like, literally everything is here as a temptation. <laughs> so... <laughs> we can't do anything. Everyone turn off YouTube. This is going to turn into bad things. <laughs> exactly. So just, it gets, uh, so I don't know where you draw the line and it feels arbitrary. Um, so maybe the best part uh, is to let people's conscience kind of dictate that a little bit as opposed to everyone else dictating it for other people. Um, so men and women can have direct conversations even if they're married, Yeah, even if one is a pastor. So anyway, um, so uh, we could even concede that uh, public or open conversations can become secretive, right? Because that, that can happen, right? Yeah. I'm having a public conversation with somebody. Oh, I'm in a room talking to this lady and then eventually becomes private and then becomes inappropriate. So even then, it doesn't necessarily negate it. So if you're like, oh, it always has to be public. Well, it doesn't mean someone can't secretly do something if they want to anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to negate the problem. So anyway. We're just trying to say there's a lot of lines where any conversation could become inappropriate, and we acknowledge and understand all those. We're just saying that's not always the case. So I think we just need to have some pragmatism about it. Right, and Jesus spoke to Mary Magdalene, right? The woman at the well. The woman at the well was known to be kind of a hussy in town, right? So uh, the woman at the well, um, a woman touched Jesus with her hair. (gasps) Scandal. (laughs) That's a scandal. So there are like 20 different references of Jesus speaking directly to women, even alone with them. Uh, sometimes maybe a, a more public place than others. Um, there are so we can at least conclude from an imitating Christ, from an imitating Christ perspective, speaking with the opposite gender isn't excluded, right? So I can talk to the opposite gender and still emulate Christ and not be committing any sin, which means that just because someone does that does not mean that they should be fired, let go, or resign or step down from a position at a church. 
Does that make sense? It does, because if Jesus was doing those things, and he was able to do them and conduct them appropriately, and he was considered blemish-free, sinless man, then I don't think that you can uh, then go to a pastor who's doing literally the same thing, not sinning, not having a intimate conversation, not leading it to any kind of sexual relationship, then that also is not sinful. Right. Even if they're a pastor. Which then begs the question, was the situation and how it was handled a result of actual sin? Was it because of some sort of cultural issue, cultural sensitivity, um, abundance of caution, like way too much caution, or was it something else? So that's where my, uh, the, that's where our point's kind of coming in, where it's like, well, because if it's a result of sin, great, we should handle that appropriately and have them step down. If it's because of culture, then culture could go screw off. Culture's ever-shifting and changing. I don't think the church should be always... Um, at the point of gun of culture, um, abundance of caution can be an overreaction, right? So anyway, maybe this truly was inappropriate. Again, it's all vague, but, uh, or maybe this is just an overreaction to innocent conversation among friends. And that's kind of more the direction I'm taking on this right now. Um, yeah, based on the evidence we have so far. Yeah. So the fact that all the DMs, texts, and emails were reviewable shows a lack of desire to hide this. In fact, when the lady came up to him, him going straight to his wife and his elders tells you, he's like, dude, I'm just trying to hide this. Was this wrong? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and the fact the spouses knew is also an example. It doesn't seem like there's a desire to hide these interactions at all. Right. But maybe in his heart, he was also pushing towards something that was sinful, maybe. And maybe that's why he was like, okay, I think I'm unhealthy. Maybe that's what he was, maybe he did have something in his heart. He's like, ah, maybe there was a little bit of attraction there and I didn't express it outwardly yet, but maybe that's where I was hoping it would head. Maybe, um, maybe unconsciously. And maybe when he thought about it, he's like, oh no, I was, I, I was starting to go inappropriate. Okay, fine. Then great. I appreciate that you examining yourself and taking a step back. That's, that's proper action that honestly we, we, don't see very often. Yeah, we church. wish more people would take. Um, but again, we don't know. And I, I and based on what he said, he didn't think it was inappropriate. So most likely, I, based on that statement, I would say he probably had, it doesn't come off like to me like he had impure motives, right? Yeah. Because if he was like, well, it was innocent and I didn't think anything was wrong. Well, if you had ulterior motives or you had like a hope deep within you that something would happen, that would be a little bit different um, you, of yeah. a statement. And if you watch the video, you see he's he gets kind of emotional talking to his... Yeah. his church about it but it, it this is where i like there's something weird about this because he's he's essentially crying about this conversation and but essentially all we've really been told is it was unguarded and unwise and i i don't remember the last time i shed tears over something that i did that was unguarded or unwise just that seems like well, that doesn't sound very bad at all, actually. Um, I do a lot of things that are unguarded, unwise every day. Right. <laughs> like driving eight miles over the speed limit. <laughs> That's unwise. So and, and so basically the church being vague about the issue was, ac- it, um, was actually making this sound either much worse than it was or extremely legalistic. Yeah. The reaction just doesn't seem to fit what they said. Right. So the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. So they said that they have to be above reproach, okay? But what does that mean, Brian? Yeah, so we talk about that for pastors and, and elders and deacons. It's this idea of being blameless, right? There, there isn't a chink in your armor that someone can leverage to hurt the church, to 
um, make it sound like uh, the good news is false, that you're a whole bunch of hypocrites, right? There's, there's this, you have to be putting forth a good standard and really showing that sanctification process. Now, we both say, and we've said this in the episode before, that that doesn't mean that your past has to be perfect, because if your past was perfect, then you don't need a Savior to begin with. So there is sin in every pastor's past. Just deal with it right now. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> all right. There are going to be a bonus episode after this. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So it's all like, the deets all on Will. The, all the people that know me from the past is like, let me drop the dirty laundry in the comments because there is a lot. <laughs> and I, but I think it, the standard is above reproach now, right? The way you're conducting yourself is in line with what you're saying. Are you practicing what you're preaching? And I think in general, when we're holding the the First Timothy chapter three standards to elders and deacons, we're holding to that standard because that's the standard for Christian living. And if they are leading a body of believers, they're acting in some form of leadership. They should be able to portray what they are teaching for you to do. Right. But they are teaching you to do what they are doing. So if they are not able to do what they're trying to tell you to do, we're in Matthew seven territory. They're hypocrites. Right. And Christians are called to be blameless. So. I've said this a thousand times. The, the the requirements of a pastor are the exact same actually as a Christian. When you really look at it, it's like, oh, that, oh, it should be the same. Blameless, with, you know, above reproach, good hospitality, things like that. So, yeah, not drunks, so, not quarrelsome, all and, those things. And is someone blameless if they're accused of something? Uh, yes, they are blameless if the accusations are false, right? Yeah. Uh, and yes, if they are accused of something that isn't sinful, so I'm accused of things that I've been called a heretic multiple times. We've been accused of this being sinful. Right. Despite the Bible being clear otherwise. We so, don't get drunk. We enjoy good beer. Yes. And, but that is an accusation that has been levied against us several times on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We get the, the, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but while it's not a sin, but Christians shouldn't do it, right? I think that's a little bit where maybe we're in that territory with Matt in this situation. Right. Um, so if it's as simple as someone thinks that you did something wrong, right? Because I, I heard this all, I've heard this all the time as a pastor. We're supposed to be blameless. I'm like, yeah, but if it's as simple as someone thinking that I did something wrong, then can't then you can't pastor, right? So that's the idea. You, well, I believe you did something wrong, so you can't be a pastor. Disqualified. Well, that, well, that would disqualify <laughs> you ever to, to pastor in a place like, say, China. Because everyone there would say that what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, they would say Christianity is wrong. Right. It's against the government. So culture can't dictate when a pastor is acting inappropriately because pastor, a pastor's ability to pastor would depend on where they live and what the surrounding town believes. So it's nonsensical. You're making culture the standard, not God. So Or people the standard and not God. So what standards are pastors held to that other Christians aren't? Really, let me ask you, what standards are a pastor held to that Christians aren't? Well, uh, they're teaching, right? Yeah. James, James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Makes sense. You're going to be a teacher, you better know your stuff. And if you're going to be educating, falsely educating, we're going to hold you accountable. And that's why we think we can't get around the idea of free will is because we think false teachers actually have the ability to cause problems. And by cause problems, I mean cause spiritual problems that people can either exit Christianity, apostatize, or 
could avoid actually becoming saved because they're like, oh no, and they go off on some weird tangent, some weird belief, mm-hmm. and don't don't ever come to know the fullness of Christ and the truth of of his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, so that is a true problem with with false teachers, and that's I think why teachers are held to a higher standard. That's something we think about often. Mm-hmm. As much as we kind of like to joke around, we really think about what we are saying here because we know we're being held to a higher standard and we want to be correct. Which is why we're actually going to do a debunk of myself. <laughs> that will be fun. Yeah, we're that'll debunking myself from when I first started this channel, so that'll be fun. Because, uh, yeah, I t- we take that seriously. Um, also, not to be a recent convert for Timothy 3.6 because um, you should be mature and take time to know things before you start teaching them. We don't want any cage-stage pastors because they are a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, cage-stage believers in general can be a problem, a problem. Yep. but it's not saying, well, I guess you can't be a part of the church. It's like, no, 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 but you shouldn't be leading people yet. Right. Have some time. Be a little bit more sure of your beliefs and not, a, not as fight me <laughs> in <Right>. them. <laughs> So otherwise, um, nothing else, right? There's really nothing else. First uh, Timothy chapter three. If you remove the gendered language, just describes how to be a good Christian. Really, church leaders are to just exemplify being good Christians, as we all should. So keep that in mind next time you say, "Well, you're a pastor. You're, you're you know, I hold you to a higher standard." Uh, I tell I told people regularly, like, "Well, you know, you're you, you know, well, you're a higher standard. You're a pastor." I'm like, "Stop putting me on that pedestal. The Bible didn't. I'm allowed to watch the same if." <laughs> I was told that, like, for example, the, my alcohol position was inappropriate as a pastor from people who literally drank alcohol <laughs> and s- then found out later they grew weed in their basement. <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to uh, have my stance on alcohol because, well, so I just don't think it's right for a pastor. So I get, get rid of it. Or, the, uh, or I, I can watch that show, but you can't because you're a pastor. I can say those words, but you're a pastor. You shouldn't say those words. It's all. I can go to that restaurant, but you can't. If if you have said that about your pastor or said that to other people about your pastor, get right with God. You're wrong. <laughs> Start repenting. Think about it. Apologize. Think about it, really. No, and then it makes it impossible for your pastor basically to live because everyone has a different opinion what your pastor should do. Or there's this one, right? My favorite's like, well, a pastor shouldn't be drinking out in public. That's... What will people think of them? You shouldn't do that. I can, but you can't. And then someone else should be like, we'll be like, well, pastors should go to local breweries around here and connect with people and give the gospel to local breweries because that's where all the people go at, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Like, okay, so who, whose opinion do I listen to? Like, yeah. Do you want people to have good examples of good Christian living or do you want them to have poor examples? We talk about this with gun ownership, which you would prefer a lot of people that watch the show that might even have a problem with the drinking. They least like the idea of someone showing responsible gun ownership. Why? Because it's good to have good role models. Right. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Why would you want to avoid that? So. Right. So anyway, if the church's posse, po- posse, <laughs> church posse, that's a that's a new band. <laughs> oh gosh, no, that was that's like the, a cringe band, like those cringy church bands where it's like that awkward photo of them in the sanctuary holding up their instruments. Anyway, um, I think you guys, when you're at Crown, you should have started a new band called the Insane Crown Posse. I would, I, I could still start that band. <laughs> um, it won't be good, but anyway. So, so if the church's Trademark. policy, though, is to be above reproach, even on social media, and he violated that. And being above reproach is scriptural in First Timothy chapter three as a standard to hold the church leaders to. Then how has he not disqualified himself? Right. 
So it's either he hasn't, he hasn't and isn't been above reproach and now doesn't meet the requirements for a pastor at all, or he is above reproach and does not, and does still meet the requirements. So pick a lane. <laughs> I don't understand here. So the other uh, thing I want to talk about was some of the jokes that they're, uh, you know, some, he was joking around saying inappropriate things that a pastor shouldn't say. Like, what jokes are those? What jokes are okay for all of us to say? But not not a pastor. Where is that line? What what jokes are okay and what jokes are not? Also, I've been in so many situations. So have you? I mean, it's like jokes. I, I've had people where I crack jokes and they laugh and they know I'm just kidding. And I've had people like I'll crack a joke and they get all sorts of offended. Humor is so subjective. I get real tired of the tone police and the mm -hmm. joke police. Like I'm sorry, if the intended audience laughed, shut up. Cancel culture started with the church, I'm telling you. <laughs> Dude, it really did. It really did. And now, and now it's funny because the church is like, free speech, cancel culture is horrible. And I'm like, yeah, y'all did it first. <laughs> did you hear what Betsy said, though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so outside law, so anyway, the outside law firm uh, does a review, right? Um, and, you know, I guess I could uh, appreciate a good attempt to be completely transparent, right? And, um, and avoid bias. Yeah, we even saw that with the Ravi Zacharias thing, right? And you did a couple episodes about that where um, they, they hired an outside firm to investigate all of his messages um, with, with people, and they were inappropriate, and they came to some conclusions. So we're trying to be consistent here, but I'm, I'm, I just look back at Scripture with 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, and I go, are we... Are we really doing what Scripture is telling us to do? Are we? Is the pendulum swinging too far? We've seen churches handle internal problems so poorly and sweep them under the rug or just move sexual predators from one church to the next and don't tell them all those terrible things. Have we now swung so far that we're like, we don't, we don't trust ourselves to conduct an unbiased review of our own leadership? That's, that to me is maybe one of the most concerning things of all. Yikes. Um, or the, and then uh, even situations like this where we might just overreact because we're so paranoid of another scandal. Yeah. So we're just like, yeah, you know, and because now that the culture has really pushed against us, cancel culture has also come after the church and basically like the church, I, I hear the narrative all the time. You guys, you guys, you know, house pedophiles, you guys have sexual abusers. You guys have people who run off with their secretaries. And I hear this sort of thing all the time. And it's like, well, that's actually a small minority in comparison to the rest of the Christians and pastors. But, you know, we, the pendulum does swing, man, and it keeps swinging. So yeah. guarantee you look at just normal corporate America, you see that all the time too. So, yep. but I think if we're hiring a, an outside law firm to tell us if a pastor has disqualified himself for good Christian contact conduct, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it was a Christian law firm and they have, they're, they're real good Christian guys and they understand the inner workings of the church. It just, I'm, it's a little bit weird to me. It's still, I think... A bit sus. It's a little bit, a little bit sus. If you are concerned that you just want to have everything just appear above reproach, that there's no no issue here, there's no bias, there's no friends, buddies, patting on the back, you know, wink and a handshake, then talk to another church to help conduct an impartial review. Right, well... I don't know if this law firm is technically needed. First Corinthians 6, well, 1 through 8, right? It says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? 
Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? <laughs> do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers go to the law against the brother and that before and that before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all the one to have to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you why not rather suffer wrong why not rather be defrauded you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers and of course he's talking about taking like ripping people off and taking each other to court but it's kind of a similar concept here um and this is also why um if something, if something inappropriate does happen or if something egregious happens, the Bible says there must be two or three witnesses mm -hmm. because it's like we need proof. We can't just go on false accusations. We can't go by one man's word. We can't just go by people who fling things through the walls yeah. because we don't know. So it's kind of that same concept here where it's like, well, again, the witnesses who were involved, the families directly involved already knew about the conversation. It was fine. But then everyone else chose to overreact. Right. So. Just because people have abused the scripture to cover things up doesn't make it non-scripture. Right. I think we still have to be humble and say, what does scripture tell us to do here? And I don't, I don't think it tells us to hire outside law firms. So what does this not appear to be? This doesn't appear to be abuse, right? It doesn't it look like it's a, you know, a emotional, physical, sexual, or spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse is such a vague term. I won't hate using it. Um, evidence, Christians, uh, Pat, is this, uh, this doesn't also appear to be, I should say, evidence, Christian pastors can't hold up to their own standards, right? And doesn't seem like it, this appears to be evidence God isn't real, right? Because <laughs> that's the other one. Oh, this happened, so God must not be. Yeah, that drives me nuts when people are like, well, this, this Christian did this bad thing, so yeah, the... God, you believe in? He's just a spaghetti monster in the sky. It's like, no, no, no. Our whole gospel is centered around the fact that we are bad. Yeah, <laughs> we do bad things, and we can't get we can't gain righteousness on our own. <laughs> we fail. That's kind of actually. I expect that to happen in my worldview. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, I also was, believe in restoration of the saints as well. So I believe when somebody falls, we can lift them back. And we already talked about that a little bit in another oh, yeah. episode where I get tired of the, this person committed an unpardonable sin amongst us so we can never restore him ever at all in any way, shape or form in the church. And shout out to Daniel Apologetics. He had this great analogy that I've used several times, um, but he talks about, you know, we're supposed to imitate Christ, right? And, and people say, oh, well, that person imitating Christ did this bad thing, so therefore God isn't real. But you don't apply that same standard to Elvis impersonators. If you see a bad Elvis impersonator, you don't leap to the conclusion that Elvis never existed. That's just a silly thing. So when you see people that are imitating Christ poorly, that doesn't mean Christ didn't exist. That doesn't mean God isn't real. That just means they're doing it poorly. That's such a great it's, example. It's Daniel, fantastic. that was amazing. Yeah. Check I out think, our interview with him here. Yeah. Okay. I think it was about a year ago he put that video up, but I, yeah. I got it saved. It's so good. So what, the, so what this does appear to be, and again, this is just judging by the information we have at hand. So it appears to be that culture is infecting the church and extra biblical standards are being applied. So the four cl uh, closest um, to this, right, the spouses involved, do not appear to have thought this was inappropriate. And it was only after a confrontation, elders and a law firm were involved that it became understood as inappropriate. Basically, I almost you could say like a 
preconceived bias of some sort. So this is either a sign of an exceptionally open and honest pastor, or it is also it could be a sign of legalism holding Christians to standards that are not that are in addition really to what God calls sinful. Or maybe there is more to the story than what was released, and the lack of details uh, leave this as a possibility. Okay, I suppose it could be all three. <laughs> right, or there's all the above. Um, so this leads us to a question that we should be asking. Can a pastor have direct relationships with people in their church? Can a pastor have close friends, and can they be of the opposite gender? And you wrote an article about this on our blog, talking about just why pastors quit. And oh, one of the yeah, I was, examples, like, I, I was like, I don't remember writing on this topic. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> one of the examples you brought up is that there's 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 this these standards that they're holding pastors to where essentially prevents you from having real close friends because either you let someone in and you let your guard down like Matt was talking about you let your guard down just have true open relationships with people that are real friendships and they understand you innately and then they use those those situations to then stab you in the back go at told you will wasn't up to that standard of pastor he's just a normal guy he's just a normal Christian he's bad then you wonder why the dropout rate is so high amongst pastors, the depression mm-hmm. rate, and why they all claim to be so lonely, even though they're always surrounded by people and loved by people. It's because they can't actually have a genuine friendship. No one knows who they really, truly are, because the moment they open up to anyone, anyone, it's either used as political leverage against them in the church, someone views it as inappropriate, um, and or the people use it to, and take advantage of the situation. It happens so much to pastors, where pastors oftentimes are like, you know, it's just easier for me, it's better for me not to have good friendships. You were the first friend, like genuine friendship I had in a long time mm-hmm. that didn't feel like I couldn't put my, you know, I could fully put my guard down, yeah. uh, which was I needed that by the way, um, desperately because I was at the point where I was getting burnt out hard. So if this truly was just frequent communication among friends that happened to be the opposite gender that everyone that should care about that was fully aware of, then honestly, shame on the elder board for making this into a much bigger thing. Shame on the person who brought this up and may have been a busybody. I don't know. Maybe they, I'll give them benefit of the doubt that they just had a genuine concern and maybe they didn't intend to, to unravel to this extent. But I think we just need to look at the situation and go, okay, is this really how the church should react? Did we overreact so far because there's been so many churches that have underreacted to actual bad situations that now we've had pulled someone out of the ministry, made someone feel bad for benign, normal, genuine, open conversations, and have we and have we made the church beholden to new cultural standards that are always in flux? So, and of course, the question is, did this help or hurt the church? Probably hurt the church more than helped, right? Um, so I'm going to guess it hurt Matt Chandler more. And I bet you the the, the fa- other family that was like just there was like probably feel horrible. Probably they don't feel too good about it because they probably thought it was benign as well. So anyway, should really past poor examples of pastors uh, influence our opinions today? I you know I don't think that should be the case. Um, in, in these situations. And I, I really want to recommend that we watch, yeah, you guys watch our video, uh, the video I did of, it's, a, it's not a sin, but a Christian shouldn't do it. Check that video out. I think it'll be enlightening to some of you who might have had that problem, so, or have seen that issue, or have heard that cliche, or maybe use that cliche. Um, if this is something that can lead to temptation down the road, right, having this interaction, is that a sure thing, or is it avoidable? 
What must a Christian avoid, though, to prevent the possibility of sin? Everything? Should we become Amish? You know, you're not going to be able to, right? You're not going to be able to avoid temptation, which is why we have to equip ourselves to be able to resist temptation. Yeah, I think we would say that it really comes down to each individual person, their own situation, their own desires and temptations, right? Like we talk about all the time, like we wouldn't drink these in front of someone who's a recovering alcoholic because we know it's going to push them to desires that maybe they're having a hard time um, keeping a hold of, right? There's all the situations that we help. All of us have things that we much easier fall into sin than others, and that's just the nature of the beast. And maybe some people having a communication with someone of the opposite sex is that temptation that is just inevitable. But I guarantee you it's not everybody. Guarantee right. it. So we even have, like, examples of Paul, right, going through various steps to avoid the perception of handling money inappropriately. So we can show some grace here and understand that people are going to try to apply these things differently, maybe um, to be overly cautious to, for, uh, in good faith, maybe because they particularly have a specific temptation. Um, I, I know plenty of people who they avoid certain things just because they don't want to be anywhere near a particular temptation that could trigger something for them. So what would we have done if we were in this church, Brian? Yes. What, what would we have done? So if someone comes up to... Say he came up to me or came up to our pastor and he's like, "Hey, see, you've been talking to this person, and I'm um, I'm a little bit concerned that that's that's bad relation. That's not inappropriate. That might be leading down a bad path." Um, the first thing I would do is go directly to the spouses, right? If it's two married people, and say, "Okay, spouses, is everyone aware that this is going on? Are you all okay with this? Is there does anyone have a concern that they maybe haven't felt comfortable sharing? Maybe." They were aware of it, but weren't okay with it. And now that it's come up, they're like, yeah, I'm actually not okay with it. And maybe that's what happened in this situation. Um, and then I would probably ask, as if I was an elder, I'd ask to see the messages. Can I see some of the messages? What, what is this person talking about? I just want to have at least an understanding. I don't know if I'm going to go to an outside law firm. I'm just going to say, let me see a couple of the messages. What, what are you actually saying? And if, and if the messages are sinful, not necessarily appropriate jokes. I don't care if someone said, let's go Brandon or something silly in a text, right? Is it actually sinful? Maybe it's emotional cheating. Maybe it's clear emotional cheating that they're, they're going down a path that um, is clear that they're trying to ena enable a situation that's unfaithful. Um, then I would ask that person to step down. Like, yep. Because that would be disqualifying. Right. Um, but if I look at the messages and they're like, I don't see anything sinful here. Maybe they chat 20 times a day. Maybe they chat once every few weeks. I, the frequency of that isn't going to affect my opinion. Is what they're saying sinful? Is how they're acting portraying sin? Are they attempting sin? Maybe one person's making veiled comments. The other person's just oblivious like, haha, that was funny. And not realize what they're trying to insinuate. But if it's, but if it's actually not sinful, then I'm like, cool. I would talk to the person that then brought up the complaint and say, hey, uh, actually, they're having just normal conversations. Everyone that should care, their spouses themselves, have no problem with it. And they're not saying anything sinful. Yeah, and I even looked at some of the messages, and none of it's, uh, none of it's been inappropriate. So I understand your concern, but actually, I think everything's okay. Yeah. And, you know, if not, then we will convene at a later time if something happens. But I'm not going to also tell the person that you can't have any conversations whatsoever. I'm not going to overstep the boundary of God's word and decent social 
like interaction. So and I think um, just just to say it maybe a fourth time now, just because twenty churches in the last five years have had a situation like this, saw that they were sinful and decided to didn't want to have the drama and just swept everything under the rug, doesn't mean that when you're confronted with a situation that isn't sinful, that then you make a whole big deal out of it. I, those two situations shouldn't influence each other. We can learn from past mistakes, and we can even learn from past mistakes of others. That's wisdom. But I don't think we should over-respond to something, over-exaggerate, overreact. Um, if that's not actually what happened, just because previous times it was handled improperly or improperly or poorly. Agreed. So uh, essentially I just, uh, uh, the more and more I looked at the story, the more and more I just didn't see that there was any reason to resign or step down or take a leave of absence. I just don't see the evidence of that. Now, granted, um, again, it is vague. So perhaps there's other information that was withheld from the public, but in which case though, that were, it seems like if that were the case, then it would fall under inappropriate, so then someone's just lying. Um, but again, this is all speculative, but based on the information at hand, I th actually think the church overreacted, and I think uh, Matt Chandler shouldn't have even had to step down. Um, yeah. That's my personal view, but maybe it's because I'm biased toward pastors who sometimes get thrown under the bus a little too quickly. Yeah. It just seems like Matt was just trying to be so above board and so conscientious of his actions and how they affected anyone and everyone that it seems like he followed these recommendations, even though they seem to be borderline legalistic. But think about it to what, this conclusion. Think about what it did to his public ministry now. Like mm -hmm. people in the church, like when you once you say that, which is probably why he got kind of teared up because it's like he probably is like, man, I let these people down. They're not going to think highly. I mean, man, I really screwed up. Man, I, I was unguarded and unwise, and this was viewed as inappropriate. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, well, maybe it wasn't. Like, and so anyway, those are our thoughts. What are you guys' thought, uh, thoughts on the Matt Chandler situation? Because um, this, what's funny, too, is that we, uh, we actually, uh, didn't he say uh, Preacher Boys, Eric Skorzynski? Yeah, Eric did one. Did one, and he agreed with us that there was, like, something. Yeah, after I wrote the notes, I was watching his, and I was like, Oh, actually, we kind of agree on most of this. <laughs> right, right, which is funny. So there's, like, a lot of common ground there, which is weird when it, once we start agreeing with, with Preacher Boys on things, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like we don't – we try our best just to come at things unbiasedly, right? We just try to come forward, hey, what do we think of this and what it seems to be objective on this. Um, no axe to grind here. I just think that, based on the information at hand, that Matt should still be able to be in office. But what I, But I'm not there, and I'm not the pastor, so here we are. Yeah. So I guess hopefully this is this helps. If you run into a situation like this in the, in the future, maybe you have a concern that that something's inappropriate. Maybe just think about it. Is And this isn't to say that if you have something come forward with don't say anything. I'm not saying that. But just think about is what you're going to complain about. Are you reporting sin or are you reporting something that just you don't think Christians should do, but it actually isn't sinful. Or you think, oh, well, if this went on forever, maybe eventually it might become sin. Um, those might be versions of things to hold your tongue on. Right. So anyhow, let us know what you think of the Matt Chandler situation down below. Uh, what do you think that the church should have done? And how do you think that we can avoid these types of situations in the future? Uh, with that being said, Guys, thank you for tuning into to the church split. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. Take care and God bless.